0: How's everybody doing good two of you's okay hey i want to welcome you out today i want to welcome our online audience hopefully there's uh if you're not here you're watching online um want to say good morning to you um thank you praise team for leading us in worship i got a got a big message today um and we got a big decision to make coming up and um yeah, I'm talking about Tuesday, but today I'm, I'm going to ask you to make a big decision today, and we'll get we'll get to that before the message is over, but uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the two-minute warning or not, but if you're a fan of football, you know exactly what it is. If you played football, you, you know what that is. It's, it's the time that you have left, and a lot of times, well, every time they stop, stop the game, and it's just to allow for some time uh, and, pe- and people to get on the same page to know that, hey, the game's about up. And that is an old, old rule that was instated back before the, they kept time on the scoreboard. Nobody could really see the clock. And so the refs and the umpires kept it themselves. And we just kind of kept it um, up until now uh, really to build tension among the audience. You know, if you're watching at home, you're kind of like, ooh, you get a breather. What's going to happen next? And it's really been commercialized. That's why we have it now. But ultimately, it was designed to let people know that, hey, it's about over. You know, the time's about up. And when we get to Daniel chapter 5 today, we're going to see God's two-minute warning given to the people of Babylon. And when we get to Daniel chapter 5, time-wise, 66 years have passed since, since Daniel chapter 1. And, you know, Daniel was a teenager when he was taken from Judah into Babylon and so now he's probably in his 80s he's an old man right and so a lot of time has passed and there was a new king in Babylon and this guy's name was Belshazzar and I don't know if I'm pronouncing all these names right just bear with me Belshazzar and this was a interesting kingship it was a dual or shared kingship Belshazzar's father was actually king as well But he really didn't like staying in and around Babylon. He spent most of his time outside of the city, away uh, conducting affairs of the kingdom that way. And so he left his son, Belshazzar, in charge of running the kingdom. So there was sort of a dual kingship there. Um, In Daniel chapter 5, verse 1, I want to invite you to read with me this account. Verse 1 says, King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, might drink them. All right, so here we, we read um, that this starts off with a big party. And King Nebuchadnezzar wasn't Belshazzar's father, that word father. And then we'll see another word that, that talks about son here. Those are uh, interchangeable words that mean descendant or ancestor. So Belshazzar is king here, and he throws this big, huge party, thousands of people. The who's who in Babylon would have been there. Now, I know m- many of you may have been to parties in your, back when you were younger Or whatever. Maybe you've been to a party last week. I don't know. But this was a huge, huge party. Lots of people. And, you know, we're kind of given the PG-13 version in Scripture. But to be honest with you, this would have been a sexual party with alcohol, uh, just everything. Prostitutes. You know, big orgy is what this was. I'm sorry if that offends the language, but that's just what, it, what, what took place, okay? And, um, you know, as the king got wasted, look, you, when you get drunk, you really make bad choices, you know? But a, as he got drunk, he had this big idea, hey, let's, let's bring in the goblets that Nebuchadnezzar took from Judah. Remember that back in chapter 1? Nebuchadnezzar took all the temple treasures and put them in his treasury. Well, they just sort of been sitting there this whole time, Well, Belshazzar says, let's go get those things. And so he goes and he gets these sacred items, these sacred goblets, the cups, the mugs, right? Verse 3, so they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines drank from them, right? Verse 4, as they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver of bronze iron wood and stone so the king belshazzar said i'm with those sacred cups and and he brought them into the party and they actually drank from them all right it's one thing just to kind of have them there on the table or something and you're making fun of them but actually drank from these sacred cups and to make matters worse they started praising the gods of gold and silver in other words they started praising the gods of what these cups were made from they started worshiping these false gods everyone was eating drinking laughing man i bet they were having this sinfully great time right the time of their lives and then all of a sudden this happens verse five suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. In the middle of this party, in the middle of this sinful party, this this hand appeared out of nowhere. And it began to to write on the wall and it scared the king to death. He saw it. And look, some translations say that he peed on himself. Okay, He lost control of, of himself. That's how scared he was. That's how frightened he was. He almost passed out. His knees were shaking. He's scared. Well, who are you going to call? Right? Anybody remember the Ghostbusters, right? That, remember, man, wasn't that a great costume back in the 80s? Like the They don't make costumes like that no more. But he knew exactly who he was going to call. The magicians, the sorcerers, the astrologers, right? Remember the same, the wise men, the same group that hadn't been able to do anything? That's who he called. And he wanted to know what this writing meant, why it was happening, why it was there. And so he called all these guys in, and guess what? They couldn't do it again, right? They were not able to do it, and this was the third time and Third Strike, you're out. You know, they're not mentioned anymore in the rest of the book of Daniel. You know, they're not given another opportunity. But thankfully, the queen, and when I say queen here, it's not Belshazzar's wife. It would probably be his mother, okay? Um, she wasn't part of the party, but she heard the commotion and what was going on. She came in and said, oh, there was this guy named Daniel that when when Nebuchadnezzar Your ancestor, when he was king, he was able to interpret dreams when nobody else could. He's still in the kingdom. Why don't you call on him? And Belshazzar's right. like, oh, yeah, that's right. I'll I'll call on him. So he brings in Daniel, and he said, Daniel, if you can do this for me, I will give you riches. I will clothe you with purple, uh, and, and I will just give you so, so many rewards if you can do this. And Daniel, being in his 80s, he's probably just, you know, tired of it. No, I don't need all that stuff. You you keep that. But I will tell you the interpretation anyway. And he starts off the interpretation like this. He he brings up Nebuchadnezzar. And he said, God in his sovereignty, he granted power and glory to Nebuchadnezzar. God did that. God set up his kingdom. But when he became prideful and when he became arrogant, God took all that away. You remember that from last week when Chad taught us, God set up Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom and because he became boastful and prideful and arrogant, God took all that away and he did it for a long time. He did it for a period of seven years. And he did it until Nebuchadnezzar saw God as being sovereign and he humbled himself. And then when chapter 4 leaves off, it says God restored Nebuchadnezzar that way. That's how Daniel opens, opens that up. But notice what he says in verse 22. But you, Belshazzar, his son, or his descendant, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. So instead of learning from the mistakes of his predecessor, Belshazzar ignored what happened. He ignored how God humbled him and restored him. Verse 23, Instead you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines drink wine from them. You praise the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in His hands your life and all your ways. Wow. You were Belshazzar. You were having the time of your life, but you failed to recognize the one who holds your life in His hands what he was saying now look daniel hasn't even got to the interpretation yet this is kind of he he that's the intro he he's building all this up and then he gets to the the interpretation in verse 25 this is the inscription that was written many many tekel parson i know that's kind of funny but this is an aramaic phrase and so these four words were written on the wall. This is what the hand wrote and the two words, the first two words were repeated. And many means numbered. All these have to do with currency. This is currency bank, banking language. Many means numbered. And here's the, here's the um, what the inscription means. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. And tekel means weighed. So with, in this culture, in this time, with currency, you put things on the scale and you weighed it. That's how you know how much value it was, was by the weight. It says God has numbered your days, you've been placed on the scale, and you have found wanting. In other words, he's coming up short. He doesn't weigh enough. He's lacking. And then Perez, which is the singular word of parson, and it means divided, but you know what it also means? Persia. Perez is how you say Persia in Aramaic. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Wow. So that's all the message. Strange message, isn't it? And This, this was a message from God that because of his arrogance, his defiance, his disrespect of God, Belshazzar's time was up. His time was up. And he had been put on the scales, he had been placed on God's scales, and he had been found wanting or lacking. And Daniel gave this final prediction of what would take place. The the kingdom of Babylon would fall to the kingdom of Medo-Persia. Now, Medo-Persia is a um, combination of the Medes and the Persian Empire, and they would join forces to defeat Babylon. This is a prediction that Daniel gave, okay, at this party. And when would this take place? Pretty quick. Verse 30. That very night, that very night, bad night for Belshazzar. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Wow. Wow. You know, we read about this and we think, well, that's a cool story. That's a cool story in the Bible. But this is an historical account. This actually took place. There's been dozens and dozens of artifacts that have been found relating to this event. It's recorded in our Bibles, but it's also recorded in history. On October 12, 539 B.C., the Medo-Persian Empire invaded Babylon and brought it down. It happened. It happened. And as a matter of fact, Belshazzar was so stupid, he publicized this party. He said, oh, I'm, I'm having this big party. You come, you come, you come, you come. Guess who found out about it? The Medes and the Persians. What better time to invade when you got everybody drunk, preoccupied? And what they did was they, they dammed up the Euphrates River All right, so only one way into Babylon when it's closed off. Huge walls, tall walls. The place was impenetrable except for one place, and that was the Euphrates River. They dammed it up to where it wouldn't flow, and they walked right in, and they they slayed Belshazzar, and Babylon fell just like that, just like that. You know, what can we learn from this? You know, some very important things that I want to share with you, and I'm going to go through these fast, so just, you know, uh, pay attention and, and try to keep up here. First of all, God takes his honor seriously. God takes his honor seriously. I, I really feel like we need to hear that. I really feel like I need to say that. You know, God will not allow his name and his glory to be dishonored. He won't. You know, Belshazzar took these these gold and silver cups that were taken from God's temple and he used them in, as a mockery of God and not only that but he led the leader of the nation led all his people in worshiping the false gods of silver and gold and God did not did not, did not allow that to continue. He held Belshazzar and all of Babylon accountable and today God will not allow Himself to be dishonored. You know, God will hold people accountable. God God is very concerned with you and me. God is very concerned with, with Christians and how we live and what we say and, and what we do. And and if we think we're just under this umbrella of grace and you know we're we're on the safe side now, we're untouchable. No, that's not the God of the Bible. God of the Bible holds people accountable even his people for dishonoring him 1 Corinthians 6:19 Don't you realize I think sometimes we need to real bring our minds back into focus Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God you do not belong to yourself for God bought you with a high price so you must, you must honor God with your body. Now, the context of this, the church in Corinth, the Christians, they were behaving badly. They were doing whatever they wanted to. And God cares very much about what we do with our lives. You know, it talks about we were bought with a high price. That high price was the blood of Jesus. That was the high price. So when we think, well i'm going to do what i want we dishonor god when we think about it don't matter what i do we dishonor god you see because of the blood of his son purchased you and so god takes honoring that purchase honoring his son very very seriously you know we may not drink from the sacred goblets we might not drink from these sacred cups but guess what? This verse tells us that we are the temple. We are. And, and just like Belshazzar worshipped the gods of silver and gold, we are prone to worship the false gods of earthly things. We make things like money, cars, houses, possessions, material things. We 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 make those our gods instead of focusing on Jesus and how he taught us to live. We do. And another thing um, that I see all the time is this, is that we dishonor God by misusing his name. Okay. Now, I know this sounds old school, and this is what granny and granddad taught you, and this is what the, the church up in the holler taught you, but it needs to be said again. We do not misuse the name of God. Um, I can't stand a foul mouth. You know, cursing and stuff like that. I know many, I know sometimes you just, you can't help it. But what bothers me more is when I hear somebody say Jesus Christ. That bothers me. When, oh, oh my God. Or for Christ's sake. Or even OMG. Look, teens, kids, OMG OMG is not okay. I mean, how, what are you trying to do there? See how close you can get? I did, look, I'm dealing with this with my kids right now. And they're, they're hearing, you know, cuss words at school and stuff like that for the first time. You know what I'm talking about if you're a parent. And, and, and they're right. asking all, is this bad? Is this bad? OMG. And I'm like, don't say that. Why? Because you don't say, God, well, you just said it. You, you, you know what I mean? We're in that type of conversation. But it's not okay for us. We, we need to hear that. Deuteronomy 5.11. This is what we need to share with our kids and our teens. You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. Is that pretty clear? That's pretty clear to me. Right? And and guess what? This is the first time God wrote with his hand. (laughs) When he gave the commandments, when he gave the law. This was the writing of God here. So God takes his honor very seriously and part of honoring God is respecting his name. Now look, why do we, how do we get ourselves into these situations where we go through maybe seasons of you know, just doing what we want and maybe just getting lax with, with our honor of God? Why, how, how do we get there? Well, the answer is pride. That's the second thing I want to share with you, pride. And pride is bad. <laughs> it's one thing to have confidence. Pride is, pride is bad. Pride leads to destruction. Proverbs 16, verse 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Do you see Belshazzar in that anywhere? <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is like his verse, right? Now, even though this was written a ro- long time ago, I see him all over this. He was so proud like Nebuchadnezzar was, but he did not learn from Nebuchadnezzar's mistakes. Belshazzar is thinking, I'm good. I'm safe. I'm invincible. I'm untouchable. But ironically, it was his pride that led to his demise, and not only his demise, but the downfall of the entire Babylonian kingdom. You know, historically, you can look at any former great nation. And you can trace their downfall back to pride. It leads to destruction. Not only the destruction of people, but the destruction of countries. You know, what is pride? We, we sort of know, we have an idea of what it is. It's bo- being boastful, being arrogant, being, being too proud. It's, it's an overconfidence in yourself. And you might be thinking, well, I'm, I'm really not that prideful of a person. Well, there's also another part of the definition to pride, and pride also means that you ignore God or you minimize God. You see, there's always two parts to this equation. There's, there's the God part and there's the you part. Pride overemphasizes you or inflates you, but at, at the same time, when you do that, you've got to understand you're put on a scale, you minimize God. You minimize God. Belshazzar was full of himself, wasn't he? But he was also completely void of God. Part of Daniel's accusation was, Belshazzar, you have lifted yourself up. When you do that, God goes down. You know, the proud person lives this way. I don't need God. It's It's not that you don't believe in him. Is that you don't need him. I'm okay now. All right, I've got the salvation thing. I'm good. The proud person lives as they don't need God. Psalm 10, 4. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. Now, how many Christians are like that today? You might not say that you're the most prideful person in the world, but in your life, is there any room for God? Or have you, you built this empire so big around yourself that there's simply no room for God? And you're so busy, you're thinking about so many different things, and there's no, no room to think about God. That's pride. It's saying I'm good, I'm okay, I, I, I'm in control of things, and I'm doing okay right now. I'll call you if I need you, but I'm, I'm all right now. That's that's pride. You know, if if we think that we can go through this life and find success and happiness apart from God, well, good luck. Because that's pride, and pride always leads to destruction well what's the remedy to pride what do we need to combat pride well that's humility humility as we prepare to close the third thing that we learn from this story in daniel is humility leads to god's favor humility is the key to god's favor you know belshazzar's life was placed on god's scales and it says that he came up short it says that he was lacking and while it doesn't specifically tell us what it was we know what it was is humility, that's what, he, that's what he was lacking. That's what he come up short. Proverbs 16, verse 19 says this, Better to be lowly of spirit with the humble than to divide the plunder with the proud. Again, another verse that I feel like is written in light of Belshazzar and what he did. Better to be humble. Look, it's so much better to be humble, and God wants better for us. James says that God opposes the proud. In other words, if you want to be in opposition of God, go ahead and be prideful. But on the other hand, God favors the humble. He shows favor. Now, what is humility? Um, The Bible uses it differently. In, In some places, it refers to treating others better than yourself but there's also in the context of your relationship between you and God, how, how you view God. That's what this is talking about. And it, in that sense, it's the exact opposite of pride. Instead of more of me and less of God, it's more of God and less of me. You see, John the Baptist had this equation down perfectly when he said, he must increase and I must decrease. Talking about his relationship with, with God, that's what humility is instead of elevating yourself it's it's elevating god the humble person says god i need you i need you i need you in my life i'm dependent upon you is that you do you see that without god you can do absolutely nothing do you see god as the one who not only Holds the world, but also your life in his hands. Do you see God that way? You know, I look at what's coming up Tuesday with the election. I look at the election, and my heart is grieved. And I've talked to a lot of people the past couple of weeks. Spent a lot of time talking to Chad and spent a lot of time praying. And I look at our choices, and I know some of you are like all in on one side or the other. But I got to tell you, for me, I'm grieved. I'm grieved. Um, and, and, and I look, and here's what I thought. Here's what I want to tell you today. What is God trying to tell us in this? I believe what we're doing Tuesday, I believe what's in front of us for Tuesday is God's writing on the wall. I believe that. What is he saying? Don't turn to any political candidate. Don't turn to a person. Turn to me. Turn to me. I believe that's what he's saying. And to me, I look back and it's crystal clear. Turn to God. I think God is wanting us to humble ourselves, right? To show that humility, to increase him and decrease us. Second Chronicles 7:14. Now we read this a lot. And man, every 4th of July we're like, yes, let's do this. This is my verse. It doesn't really mean what we think, though. Let's read it together, and I'll explain it. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, um, we use this every July 4th, but I've got to tell you, this is not a verse for America. It's not, and there's nothing wrong with using it in that context. It's there's nothing wrong with it. But who who's it for and what's it about? Who what's the subject here? My people? Who's that? You know, in the Old Testament, you're out there God's people, the Jews. In the New Testament, let me ask you this: who is God's people? Christians. So, there's the context. If Christians, if Put your name in there if you're a Christian, okay? If, if Christians, if my people will humble themselves, if they will seek me out, and if they will pray, then I will hear, hear, hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Now, where's our land? Well, I mean, future land is the promised land, right? In heaven. But listen, back to the verse in Corinthians. You are the temple of God. Where you are and where you go and what you do, that is holy ground. You see where I'm going with this? You want to you know how to change the nation? Don't put your hope in a leader. You start influencing those around you you'll start influencing culture, and culture changes a nation. Right. If Christians were to humble themselves, turn to God, seek him, he will heal their land. And folks, the more people that we share the gospel with, the more Christians who actually behave like Christians and be the people of God in their lives, the more God will do for our country. I truly believe that. That's what this verse is saying. So here's the big decision. I know we got a big one coming up Tuesday. But here's the big decision that we need to make right now. It's turn to God, and trust in God. Turn to God, trust in God. You check that on your ballot today. And look, you do what you... What your conscience tells you to do on Tuesday. Make sure you prayed up, but I promise you whatever the outcome is, God's not surprised. Whatever the outcome is, God is still in control. Whatever the outcome is, God is sovereign. Let me read this to you. Daniel 220. It's not on the screen. But we read this back in chapter two when we started Daniel. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Amen. What a powerful verse. You know, God wants us. Here's what I know God wants us to do is to humble ourselves, to turn to him, to seek him out, and to trust him as sovereign God of our lives. We're responsible for us, nobody else, right? So look, if you don't know the Lord, or if this message has just wrecked you, I get it. Thankfully, we also serve a gracious God. And the third and final time that God wrote with his hand happened in the New Testament in John 8, when a woman was caught in adultery. And... The religious people of that day were giving her a hard time. As a matter of fact, they were ready to stone her. And Christ, the Son of God, wrote with his hand on the ground. And he said to the lady, I forgive you. I forgive you. You go and sin no more. Isn't that good? God is full of grace. And so today, I think we have an opportunity to turn to God. And in his grace, he will forgive us. And we can change. We can change. Let's pray. God, I thank you for today. I thank you for this message. Father, I pray for for us. I pray for our people at Community Heights. I pray for our community and our nation. Father, help us to honor you with our lives. Help us to honor you by what we say. Help us to honor your name. For it is holy help us to realize that we were not your people but through the blood of your son Jesus we can now be your people we can be your children you could be our father help us not to dishonor that relationship and the price that was paid for us to have that father help us to do away with pride and to minimize that and begin to fight that today help us to make more of you in our lives Help us to make more time for you in our lives. Father, help us to seek you out and to realize and to know that you are sovereign and that we are dependent upon you. Father, may we turn to you and may we trust you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.